Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. President Trump says he's angry with Americans who are not social distancing. The lead starts right now. The mayor of the nation's largest city tells its residents to be prepared to possibly shelter in place. This, as health officials say, we might not know for weeks if these extreme measures are working. And I'll talk to a mother of three young kids, one just three weeks old, about social distancing, even distancing from her husband, an ER, an ER doctor, treating coronavirus patients. Plus, the president's new tone on the pandemic. What's behind it? Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We start today with our health lead. We are all now, all of us, including President Trump, facing a new reality on coronavirus as the number of Americans confirmed as infected has jumped by more than 1,200 in just the past 24 hours. 5,359 Americans are now confirmed infected with that number assuredly higher in reality given the significant lag in testing. And this sad landmark, 100 in the U.S., are now dead from this virus. Over the course of a one-hour and 24-minute news conference earlier today, President Trump said that if Americans follow the new guidelines, things could get back on track fast. It's 15 days from yesterday. We'll see what happens after that. If we do this right, uh, our country and, and the world, frankly, but our country can be rolling again pretty quickly. In order for things to be rolling again, not only do Americans need, of course, to embrace the new social distancing guidelines, the Trump administration says the economy will require a major boost, not just airlines or tourism or other industries, but boosting directly the American people as well. We're looking at sending checks to Americans immediately. Americans need cash now, and the president wants to get cash now. And I mean now in the next two weeks. Cash in the next two weeks, but will that be enough? And will it be quick enough for so many Americans who are right now out of work, who have been told to stay home for an undetermined amount of time, who are struggling with childcare issues? And in New York City, the nation's largest city, the mayor just said, He's going to decide in the next 48 hours whether or not to issue a shelter-in-place order, which is something that's already in effect in the San Francisco area of California. So how are Americans coping in the meantime? Nick Watt is in Los Angeles with more. Early opening in Houston, seniors only, keeping them stocked up and safe from other shoppers. In San Francisco's Bay Area, 7 million woke to a draconian dawn, now allowed out only for essential needs. This afternoon, New York City's mayor said he might issue a similar shelter-in-place order within 48 hours. New Yorkers should be prepared right now for the possibility 
of a shelter-in-place order. Good morning, everyone. Brooklyn's DA has stopped prosecuting low-level offenses that don't jeopardize public safety. The president also has us inventorying um, what you all would understand as field hospitals or MASH hospitals that can be deployed very quickly. Federal officials warning there aren't enough gowns, gloves and masks stockpiled. We would urge construction companies to donate their inventory of N95 masks to your local hospital. We've ordered uh, massive numbers of uh, ventilators. I went in getting tested. Miami's mayor from self-quarantine now following New York and others in shutting all gyms, clubs, bars and restaurants apart from takeout. We have to start being honest about the human impact. If people are without their income for months on end. At the 11th hour, Ohio postponed today's presidential primary, possibly until June. It was simply untenable for us to continue telling Ohioans to go to the polls. Florida, Arizona and Illinois went ahead. This voter in her 70s with underlying conditions, wearing masks, muffs and gloves. In this election, it's always important, but it's ultra important to me this year. Uber and Lyft have stopped all pool and shared rides. And for the first time since the Second World War, the Kentucky Derby will not be run the first weekend in May. Friday saw nationwide passenger numbers down nearly a million year on year. This is worse than 9-11. For the airline industry, this is, uh, they, they are almost ground to a halt. Meanwhile, Amazon is hiring another 100,000 workers to meet online shopping demands. And the extraordinary news just keeps on coming in. Marriott Hotels has begun furloughing employees. Macy's say they are going to close all their stores starting tonight. New Jersey has closed all indoor shopping malls. The National Guard now activated in 22 states. Bottom line, though, Jake... As Dr. Burke said this morning, stop going out or we will fail to contain this virus. That's a lot of people that are no longer going to be getting paychecks. Nick Watt, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Joining me now, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, Dr. Celine Gounder, Clinical Assistant Professor of Medicine and Infectious Diseases at the NYU School of Medicine, and Dr. Mark Rupp. He's the Infection Control Chief at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. He's been overseeing treatment for coronavirus patients. Thanks one and all for being here. Sanjay, the president said that if Americans follow these guidelines for 15 days, keeping away from groups of more than 10, don't going out for unnecessary trips, not eating in restaurants, yeah. no playdates, et cetera, et cetera, quote, our country can be rolling again pretty quickly. Uh, what do you think of this 15-day number? What will that time period be able to tell us, if anything? Well, I, I don't know that it's going to tell us much. I mean, it is a short time period, and I think we, we uh, have had some inclination that the numbers are going to are going to go up during this time period, if for no other reason, Jake, uh, because the testing is going to be increasing uh, during this time period. So I'm not sure there's going to be some sort of information that's going to come out to say, look, uh, you know, we can uh, now have some assessment that things are getting better. I, I actually think the strategy might be the opposite, that instead of saying um, four weeks or some other time period, what you heard Dr. Fauci say is after two weeks, we're going to reassess and at that point, um, the recommendations might come back as more stringent. In fact, I thought today, Jake, when they did this press conference, that we might hear that already, that we're actually going to recommend more stringent social distancing measures. But I don't know that, I, I think it might actually be going in the other direction at two weeks because it's just too early. 
Yeah, and people at home should just prepare themselves emotionally for the fact that it's likely going to last longer than 15 days. Dr. Gounder, let me ask you, is the president's timeline of 15 days or whatever uh, his timeline is in order to get the country rolling again pretty quickly? Um, pretty quickly is obviously a, a term of art. I don't know if, it, if he's referring to the 15 days there or, or his projection into, into that this might last until July or August. But either way, is it, is it too optimistic to be using terms like pretty quickly? Well, we're still in the uh, exponential phase of this. So I think it would be very surprising to see anything but an increase over the next 15 days. If you go back and look also at the uh, data from the 1918 Spanish flu, um, the cities that did the best around the country are the ones that implemented very stringent social distancing measures. Mm -hmm. They did so quickly, early, dramatically, and they did so for eight plus weeks. So that's at least what I would anticipate that we would be looking at to really see an impact here. And Dr. Rupp, the president announced today a new policy to help ramp up testing. Uh, all states can now authorize tests developed and used within their borders in addition to uh, the FDA. You've been overseeing treatment for some coronavirus patients. Will the new policies announced today make it easier? Well, we, we certainly welcome the um, uh, unleashing of uh, these restrictions that uh, are in place to develop the tests. Unfortunately, um, the reagents that are necessary to actually conduct those tests are in short supply. So, for instance, in our institution, I'm blessed with working with some absolutely brilliant, very hardworking laboratorians. We were one of the first places to develop our own assay. We actually went through the process of getting it FDA approved, but we're in the situation now where we actually don't have the reagents to do the extraction from the samples so that we can run the test. So just simply making a, uh, a rule that we're going to relax the regulations, allow states to develop these tests, um, only, hosts, only goes so far. Sanjay, the president also announced a new policy today with regards to telehealth services. Uh, take a listen. Today, we're also announcing a dramatic expansion of our Medicare telehealth services. Medicare patients can now visit any doctor by phone or video conference at no additional cost. I mean, is that true? Are, are, are patients just able to do this? Snap a finger, it's, it's ready? Well, I think that, you know, the idea that you can have a, a, a telehealth consultation with the doctor, uh, is, it sounds like that that's something that's possible. It's something that already happens. And I think that they're going to reduce some of the regulation around that because there are, you know, understandably privacy concerns with this and HIPAA concerns. So I think that that's part of the regulation loosening the president was talking about. But, you know, I think that there's two goals of this from, from what I understood and made some follow-up calls. One is that, uh, it, it's not a diagnostic sort of visit, I don't think, but, but it is a more of a screening visit to get a sense if somebody really needs to be coming into the hospital or not. And the second thing, uh, Jake, is that, you know, I mean, there is this desire to, to try not to overwhelm the hospitals. I mean, there's something that we've been talking about, this flattening the curve. Somebody who comes to the hospital who may not be that sick uh, may still infect other people, may, in fact, get infected, may cause, you know, greater load on the hospital. So I think that that's what the telehealth is, is, is trying to address. But it's not, you know, it's, it's obviously not a test. It's not going to make a diagnosis. I think it's sort of more of a stopgap to accomplish those goals. All right, everyone stick around. I, I want to keep talking to you. Officials cannot say it enough. Keep your distance. The risk in some states is higher than in others. We'll tell you where. And the San Francisco area getting serious 7 million people affected. I'll speak with the mayor about the city's shelter-in-place order. Stay with us. 
Think of your loved ones. One of President Trump's top health experts, Dr. Anthony Fauci, pleading today with younger Americans to create social distance. His message, it's up to you to help slow the spread of coronavirus. Don't get the attitude, well, I'm young, I'm invulnerable. You don't want to put your loved ones at risk, particularly the ones who are elderly and the ones who have compromised conditions. We can't do this without the young people cooperating. Please cooperate with us. Tom Foreman is with me now. And Tom, when it comes to older Americans or Americans with underlying health issues, especially respiratory ones, um, which states are considered uh, the most dangerous for these vulnerable individuals? Well, it's a complicated equation. Don't forget, anyone of any age anywhere can get sick and even die from COVID-19. Being much older does raise the danger level, according to medical authorities. About 52 million Americans are over the age of 65, according to census data and analysis by the nonprofit Population Reference Bureau. But those people are not evenly distributed. For example, a quarter of them live in California, Florida, and Texas, with the next quarter living in a handful of other states there you see in the darker red, meaning these 10 states or so could bear the brunt of age-related complications from this outbreak. But underlying medical issues also make people more susceptible to this virus. And again, some states are more at risk than others. Let's look at some of them on this map from the CDC, or these maps from the CDC, starting with heart disease. The middle of the country, particularly in the South, is extremely vulnerable on that front for the size of their populations. These states have the highest percentage of people suffering in this way. But remember, in raw numbers, big states like California, Florida, they may have more people overall involved. Now, nearly 63,000 people a year die from heart disease in California. But, but those are just because they're big populations. Look at the other states out there. Smaller population, but person per person, if you're watching, they may be in greater risk. Those states have huge numbers when it comes to diabetes-related deaths as well. But look again, the middle of the country there, those hot states in there, the ones that are red, that's where person for person it's a bigger problem and they may be more at risk. And chronic kidney disease, that's a chronic lung disease, excuse me. Remember, a key symptom of this virus is shortness of breath and it can cause catastrophic pneumonia. So all these areas with really elevated levels of lung disease, whether related to smoking or work conditions or whatever, they face a higher risk than some others when it comes to dealing with disease. Remember, these are general snapshots and there is a lot we don't know about this. For example, how much any given state or communities health system may help offset the numbers with a strong public health response. But there are places out there where there are just so many of these factors colliding. Arguably, those people will be at greater risk on a a person-to-person basis. Again, anybody can get it. This is a threat anywhere. Don't think that because you're not in one of the hot zones that somehow you are clear. But there are places that will probably have worse numbers than others when this is all said and done. All right, Tom Foreman. Thanks. Uh, Let me bring back uh, my medical team. And Sanjay, uh, you saw Tom lay it out. A quarter of all Americans 65 and older living in three states, California, Florida, Texas, states in the middle of the country also quite uh, at risk uh, because of issues such as heart disease, diabetes, uh, lung disease. How should that impact, if at all, what measures states take to reduce the spread of the virus? 
Well, that was a really fascinating chart. I hadn't really seen it laid out that way before. But I think that ultimately, though, Jake, it still means that uh, the country as a whole has to take this seriously. I mean, you know, for all the reasons that we've been discussing, uh, even young people can be a risk to people with these pre-existing conditions. And even if there's higher populations of elderly people in some of these states, there's still elderly people in all these states and people with these pre-existing conditions in all these states. So, you know, that, that's the one thing I think we're going to keep coming back to is that, you you know, it has sort of felt like a patchwork thus far. And, uh, you know, one state handling it one way, another state another way. And I kept thinking that the federal government would come out with, you know, recommendations, which they have, but then still allowing some of these other states to, to follow their own recommendations. Alabama, for example, saying 25 people or more. Uh, it, it's not so much the number of people, Jake, to be clear. Those are arbitrary numbers. But I do think there needs to be national guidelines on this that everyone should abide by. Well, and, and there are national guidelines. They're just not enforced. And Dr. Yeah, Rupp, yeah. let me bring you in. The CDC is, uh, is urging Americans to limit gatherings to no more than 10 people. Um, entire states uh, have closed schools, uh, restaurants, bars, theaters to limit public contact. Some states are postponing elections. Uh, how severe does the social distancing effort need to be to have a significant impact? In other words, the state's not doing uh, the most extreme measures. Do you expect to see uh, results that indicate that in a few weeks? Well, these measures do need to be aggressive and far-reaching. Um, clearly, you don't want to wait until it's too late and you're already having lots of spread through the community before you put these into place because then they're just not going to be as effective. So the far-reaching measures, increasing social distancing, closing gatherings, these are all very, very important at this point because we don't have medications, we don't have a vaccine. So we're just back to old-fashioned garden variety infection control and public health. And that means achieving that social distancing. Now, the amount of people that can get together, the number of people, that's fairly arbitrary. And the, the real key is, are you achieving that distance between people? Five to six feet is kind of that danger zone. So if you even have a small group of folks trying to maintain that distance is uh, really what should be achieved. Now, if we do those things, hopefully we'll see an impact. Uh, realize that in any epidemic or outbreak, we're always behind the curve. So yeah. what we're seeing today is the incubation that occurred a week ago. Mm. What we're going to be seeing over the next week or two is what's going on today. So it takes time to see the impact. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Gounder, you, you heard Dr. Fauci earlier today pleading, pleading with younger Americans, stay home, don't go to bars, don't go to restaurants, protect your older loved ones, protect yourself, help flatten the curve. But Fauci said it would be weeks before we know if these measures work. Uh, take a listen. It probably would be several weeks and maybe longer before we know whether we're having an effect. It may be at the end of the day, we'll see a curve that would have been way, way up. But I wouldn't, like, put us to task every few days. Well, wait a minute, it's going up. Is it working or not? That would be really misleading if we do that. How long are you telling your friends and family to be prepared to hunker down? I'm telling my friends and family about eight plus weeks. Uh, you know, what we've seen with prior uh, epidemics, including the 1918 Spanish flu, which is probably the most comparable to what we're living through today, uh, communities that instituted very strict social distancing measures early, 
rigorously and for the at least eight week period, they're the ones that were really able to control the peak in cases. Some of them did uh, observe a recurrence, a second wave of cases after they then loosened those restrictions and then had to reimplement them. But, you know, I, I, I still think we're looking at at least eight weeks to really get a handle on this. All right. Thanks to one and all for your expertise and being with us today. San Francisco's shelter in place order. Is it catching on? Is it too much? I'll speak to the mayor. Stay with us. New York City says prepare to shelter in place. That would be for more than eight million people. They would be urged to stay inside except for essential activities such as doctor's appointments, or if you need, need to go to the grocery store. Mayor Bill de Blasio says he will make a decision on whether or not to shelter in place in the next 40 hours. This comes as nearly 7 million people are already sheltering in place in Northern California, including in San Francisco. President Trump asked today whether this should be implemented nationwide. Well, you can do a national lockdown. Hopefully we're not going to need that. We think of everything. I mean, we have every idea that you mentioned. We've thought of and you know it's a very big step uh that's a step that uh i mean in one sense would work it's a very big step it's something we talk about but we haven't decided to do that the president for the time being leaving it up to local leaders such as my next guest the democratic mayor of san francisco london breed mayor breed thanks so much uh, for joining us uh, mayor de blasio says new yorkers should prepare to shelter in place he has not yet given Uh, the order, uh, do you think more cities will be, should be following your lead? I I think they probably will be. Um, We are taking the advice of our public health experts, which I believe are some of the best anywhere in the world. Uh, They have been monitoring the situation uh, from the very beginning, and the recommendations that we put forth have everything to do with what they are saying. They're using the data. They're using real facts and, and science to make a determination, because ultimately, the goal has to be to protect public health, and we need to act quickly, because as we see, Uh, This virus is moving fast and we can't react to it. We need to be more proactive in order to save lives. Today, there are nearly 7 million people under lockdown in Northern California. I know four of them uh, very well. My brother, his wife and my niece and nephew, they say they're doing okay. How is it going so far for the general population there? I think what we're seeing um, in, in kind of looking out in the streets, uh, they're pretty empty. Uh, you see people going to the work, to the hospitals and uh, some essential city services like our fire stations, our police stations. Um, Muni is still uh, is working. Uh, there are people who are uh, headed out to the grocery stores and other places like that. Uh, for the most part, people are complying. They understand the severity of the situation and they are being, you know, really great citizens in, in our city. Um, every Everyone wants to help. We're providing meals and support to our, our seniors and our kids and trying to help people get through this. I think ultimately they understand that social distancing is really the key to making sure that the least number of people are impacted by this coronavirus. And, and that's really where we are every step of the way. We've been clear in explaining the facts to people and they are they've been very understanding and they have been complying. We have a live shot on one of the busiest streets in, of San Francisco right now. Here's what it looks like right now under your order to, to shelter 
in place. Uh, far less busy uh, than normal. But, you know, to be honest, it's, it's not empty. There are still people uh, walking around. Um, I mean, do you think that all those people are doing essential activities? Well, to be clear, we have not basically limited anyone's ability to go outside and take a walk and get some fresh air. Uh, We made it clear that in doing this, we should exercise social distancing. So we want people to not feel like they're prisoners in their home, but to also as much as reasonably possible to stay indoors. And if you are not in your home to exercise social distancing when you are out walking your dog or basically maybe going to the grocery store or getting gas or running errands for maybe someone who's sick or elderly. So Mm -hmm. we know that there are things that people are going to need to do to get through this. And so uh, part of what we want people to do is use common sense and take our order seriously and be responsible citizens. Mayor Breed in San Francisco, thanks so much. uh, And uh, good luck and best wishes to all the people of San Francisco and the surrounding area. Thank you. She's a mother of three, including a newborn. Her husband's an ER doctor helping coronavirus patients every day. Next, I'm going to talk to her about how she's trying to keep her family safe and the message that former President Barack Obama had for her. Former President Obama is urging Americans to show their thanks to the medical professionals who are putting their lives on the line to fight the coronavirus. The former president tweeting, quote, We owe a profound debt of gratitude to all our health professionals and everybody who will be on the front lines of this pandemic for a long while. They're giving everything. May we all model our own behavior on their selflessness and sacrifice as we help each other through this, unquote. President Obama was responding to a series of tweets from an epidemiologist who is also a mother of a three-week-old and whose husband has to isolate himself from the family because he is treating coronavirus patients. Joining me now is that new mother and epidemiologist, Dr. Rachel Patzer, director for the Center for Health Services Research at the Emory University School of Medicine. Doctor, thanks so much for joining us. You're on maternity leave. Uh, As everyone who's watching can see, you have a three-week-old. You also have two other young children. Uh, What's life like for you right now? Uh, well, it's a new normal for me. So I have um, the the baby that is keeping me up all night and um, feeding her every two to three hours and trying to homeschool my pre-K and first grader um, and trying to do this by myself while my husband um, isolates himself uh, in a separate area of our, our house. Your husband, uh, as you mentioned, is, a, is an emergency room doctor. He's treating coronavirus patients. He's isolating himself in the garage to protect your family, uh, that must have been a difficult decision, uh, especially with such a precious angel, only three weeks old, not to mention your other two little munchkins. Right. Yeah, I think it was a difficult decision. But, you know, my husband and I are really very privileged and fortunate to have a place in our house where he can move and separate himself um, for us to really do our part in social distancing. Um, And we recognize not everyone has that luxury to do that. But, um, you know, really trying to listen to the uh, public health advice uh, to do this social distancing is really important. Healthcare workers, of course, can't really uh, fully participate in that since they're, of course, going to the um, hospital and uh, helping to reduce the spread of this virus. I'm, it's, they're doing the opposite of social distancing. Um, does he have enough supplies? Does he have enough masks? Does he have enough protective equipment? 
Yeah. So, so far, yes. Um, and in terms of supplies, I have, uh, try to leave him some food at, at the uh, uh, outside of his door and other supplies that he might need. <laughs> I don't mean um, that. He's got his I computer. meant at the ER. I'm sure you're a wonderful, <laughs> wonderfully taking care of him. But I, I meant like at work, does he have enough supplies? So at work, um, so far they do. But I think that they're, um, you know, I can't speak exactly to what's what's going on um, um, at, at, uh, at Emory in particular. Um, but I think that there are... Um, there's a risk that we could um, have supply issues at some point. So I think it's really important to um, for people to stay home to reduce the spread of this virus. You described it as difficult to see pictures of people not following social distancing recommendations uh, because of what you and your husband and your family are, are going through. We've seen these horrific, in my view, horrific images of people in spring break in Florida and the beach as if nothing's going on, crowds at Disney World Sunday night. Um, bars and restaurants packed. What's your message to the people who are not listening to the social distancing guidelines? Yeah, I mean, I think this is really tough for me. This isn't, you know, how I imagined my maternity leave. And there are a lot of other people who um, are also suffering. Um, and I think that, you know, we're all in this together. The message would be really, we really need to do our part to um, decrease the impact, um, flatten the curve of, of, and support our healthcare workers. And I think the best way we can really support our healthcare workers and people like my husband um, who are making these sacrifices is really to listen to public health guidance and to stay home. So, you know, it's, it's great for those that are doing that. And it's, it's harder for someone like me to see those, you know, see, uh, seeing pictures of people over the weekend out celebrating in um, very close quarters is, is harder for me because of that sacrifice. So I think um, we don't know how long this outbreak will go on. Healthcare providers and first responders um, already have a, a difficult job. Um, I think this outbreak will really test their resilience um, and we need to do what we can, um, given that this could go on for some time, to really do our part to um, thank our healthcare workers, our first responders, um, and listen to the public health guidance and, and stay home if we can. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. We really appreciate it. And please thank your husband for what he does. Sure. Thank you for having me. President Trump being, well, presidential. But is he also trying to rewrite history? Stay with us. It's been a different tone from President Trump in the last two days. He's been acknowledging the grave crisis in which we find ourselves. He's also trying to rewrite history a bit, claiming that he knew that coronavirus was a pandemic long before it was declared one, though we all know that President Trump has been belittling the threat of this virus for months. By April, you know, in theory, when it gets a little warmer, it miraculously goes away. When you have 15 people and the 15 within a couple of days is going to be down to close to zero, uh, that's a pretty good job we've done. Boris Sanchez reports on the president's new tone from the White House. President Trump today denying an obvious shift in tone from previous statements, much, saying he has always seen the coronavirus outbreak as a grave problem. Was there a shift in tone? I didn't think, I mean, I have seen that where people uh, actually liked it, but I didn't feel different. I've always known this is a, this is a real, this is a pandemic. I felt it was a pandemic long before it was called a pandemic. All you had to do is look at other countries. I think now it's in almost 120 countries all over the world. Uh, no, I've always viewed it as very serious. There was no difference yesterday from 
days before. I feel the tone is similar. Though Trump only admitting the situation was out of control yesterday. For weeks, he downplayed the threat. Are the words about a pandemic at this point? No, we're not at all, and uh, we're, we have it totally under control. It's one person coming in from China, and we have it under control. It's uh, going to be just fine. Sources telling CNN the change in tone spurred by new projections, indicating that without drastic action, the United States could face a catastrophic loss of life from coronavirus, a death toll topping one million. We have been working on models um, day and night around the globe. Behind the scenes, Dr. Deborah Burks and Dr. Anthony Fauci prodding Trump for more aggressive action in recent days, as other officials warned imposing major restrictions on Americans could further hinder the economy. Sources say Trump was initially worried about volatility in markets, but the rising number of coronavirus cases ultimately pushed him into a stronger response. Trump today admitting a recession is possible, but adding he is not worried. I don't think in terms of recession. I think in terms of getting it out because uh, when we're finished with the virus, we will win. We will win. And when that victory takes place, our economy is going to go through the roof. It is so pent up. It is so built up. It is so ready to go uh, in, a, in an upward direction. Uh, but we have to knock out this enemy. And Jake, the president again today giving himself stellar ratings, saying the White House has done a fantastic job in responding to this crisis, though he did point out one area of improvement, his relationship with the press. Jake. All right, Boris Sanchez at the White House, thanks so much. Joining me now is Mark Zandi. He's chief uh, economist at Moody's Analytics. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining us. The Dow closed more than 1,000 points up today after the president laid out a, a plan to shore up the economy, including uh, direct payments of money uh, to Americans within the next couple of weeks. Is that going to be enough to solve the economic issues going on? No, but it's a good start. Uh, we're talking about $850 billion, probably end up at a trillion dollars. Uh, that's a very large package. You know, it's, uh, Jake, it's not only about the dollars and cents, which obviously matter a lot here to people and to small businesses, but it's about uh, sending a signal, uh, you know, shoring up confidence, letting everyone know that the government has their back. Because uh, at this point, I think people are very, very nervous about, you know, what's going to happen. And they need to feel comfortable that, you know, government, federal, state and local is going to be there to help them. And so a big package, trillion dollars, cash you know, uh, sent to them, uh, I think would go a long way. But again, it's not going to be enough. Sources uh, telling CNN, as you note, that the price tag uh, for the response package will ultimately be about a trillion dollars. Um, for context, the 2008 bank bailout, just the bank bailout, not the not other parts of this, uh, was $700 billion. How high do you think the number needs to be ultimately to calm the economy and to provide the, the investment to keep it afloat? Well, it, you know, it, the Recovery Act, that was a fiscal stimulus package back in February of 2009 that jump-started the economy and ended that recession, was $800 billion, and that was 4.5% of GDP. So if it's a trillion dollars this go-around, that's 4.5% of GDP. So that's about the same size. So, you know, that is a very, very large package. But how much is needed, I don't know. That's going to depend on the trajectory of the virus, you know, how widespread, how virulent, how many hospitalizations, how long it lasts, when we get a vaccine. So I think it would be prudent for policymakers, the Trump administration and Congress to say, OK, this is this is we're doing this. But let's immediately begin work on what we're going to do next if, in fact, the virus becomes more of an issue down the road. And, and you see uh, that some uh, businesses, especially I was th I'm thinking right now of uh, businesses down in Florida during spring break, 
Walt Disney World staying open Sunday night with a huge crowds. They're making decisions, obviously, to keep money coming in, although ultimately Disney World uh, shut down. Um, is that something that investors think is wise? Why are they doing that? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, part of the problem here is there's no guidance from the federal government. This is being made up on the fly by state and local government officials, so there's no consistency across the board. That's got to change. I mean, the federal government has to weigh in here and make sure that everyone's following the same uh, script, the same, same guidebook. But at the end of the day, you know, if, 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 the, if the state of Florida or the Orlando city officials aren't telling the, the uh, Disneyland to shut down, Disney World to shut down, They'll, they'll continue to operate because they think it's okay, and, and they're in business. That's what they're supposed to do. And, of course, they have responsibilities, right? I mean, they've got many, many employees. They've got many, many suppliers and stakeholders, and they have to, to consider all of those things. But they're looking for guidance from, from government, and we need better guidance and clearer guidance and consistent guidance from, from the federal government. All right. Disneyland, I think, is shut down. I think Disney World and Disney Parks have also shut down since then. But this Sunday night, the pretty stark pictures out of Disney World in Florida. Mark Zandi, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Coming up next, the governor of New York taking charge in these uncertain times and not afraid to take on President Trump when he thinks he needs to. Stay with us. New York State, with more cases than any other state in the United States, is anticipating an even bigger surge in hospital visits in the coming weeks. The state is not ruling out using New York City's Javits Convention Center, a three-story tall complex that spans six city blocks, as a temporary hospital. And as CNN's MJ Lee reports, this is just one of several strong proposals coming from New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. This is an extraordinary time in this nation's history. Governor Andrew Cuomo in full crisis mode, overseeing New York State's response to the rapidly spreading coronavirus outbreak. As the virus continues to spread across the country, New York attracting national attention with one of the highest numbers of confirmed cases in a single state. The numbers, total people tested to date, were up to 10,000 people. Cuomo announcing Tuesday morning there are more than 1,300 confirmed positive cases of the virus across the state. And this week, new enforcement measures announced in other parts of New York. Schools closed in New York City, Long Island, and Westchester County. And restaurants and bars in New York City also required to shut down, except for food delivery and takeout. Cuomo also calling on the federal government to use the Army Corps of Engineers to build temporary medical facilities and issuing an executive order to increase hospital capacity across New York. The governor pleading with every New Yorker to stay calm and do their part. I remember the fear and the panic uh, that existed in 9-11, where a single moment your whole concept of life and society can be shaken, uh, where you need to see government perform at its best. In the midst of the crisis, Cuomo at times publicly clashing with one fellow New Yorker, President Trump. That is the role of the federal government and national leadership, and it is lacking. Trump tweeting about a conference call with the country's governors on Monday and singling out one governor in particular. Cuomo of New York has to do more, Trump wrote. Cuomo firing back, writing, I have to do more? No, you have to do something. You're supposed to be the president. But on Tuesday, both men changing their tunes. I said to the president, uh, who is a New Yorker, who I've known for many, many years, 
I put my hand out in partnership. I want to work together 100 percent. With respect to Governor Cuomo, we had a great talk this morning. We're both doing a really good job, uh, and we're coordinating it. And we agree, you know, different states uh, need different things, and we uh, we agree on that 100 percent. MJ Lee, CNN, New York. Thanks for joining us. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Stay safe out there. Stay healthy. Follow these social distancing guidelines. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.